to Directionally Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Cole and Scott. Today's guest, nobody. <laughs> well, I mean, like, we're coming up on uh, Halloween. Like, you got a big Halloween plan with the kiddos? Yeah, I need to find, I know we have a costume for my daughter, but I haven't seen it yet. But we have a Tyrannosaurus Rex for my son, and he won't stop wearing it. <laughs> he just wears like, it around the house <laughs> yeah we had to hide it because he was so excited about it i don't know are you do you do adult halloween I want, i'm not sure no not typically like this year i got roped into like going to like one of these like big party events in downtown seattle uh-huh. uh it's a big like commitment it's like from like 10 p.m to 2 a.m which is like way later than i stay up yeah um but yeah, it's it's always like the like the uh, uh, issue of trying to figure out like what you're gonna do and like all this sort of stuff. I, I really wish that when I was like 20 years old, I invested in like a really really nice like stormtrooper outfit, like Star Wars trucks. <laughs> like like I'm talking like 800, a thousand dollars, like really nice. And then you just like wear it every every time there's an occasion. Like you wear it for Halloween, and like maybe next year you put like a, a lay on it. And uh, I mean, like, I don't know, a sombrero or like whatever you want to do. Like you could change it up and like just have fun and it'd be really nice. And there'd be no, no judgment needed whatsoever. Well, I feel like you would have to get a different friend group every year so that <laughs> you, they wouldn't have seen the costume before. Like, sorry, friends, I, I have to get rid of you this year because I, I need to wear my costume from last year. Well, I mean, that, that's the beauty. Like, you just, like, kind of change it up by adding a couple different accessories. But, like, I see your point. Yeah, like, it's like, oh, you become the guy that's just, like, always a stormtrooper. But, I mean, like, that could be your <laughs> that could be your total bit, too, right? I feel like that has multiple connotations, but. What do you want to chat, to chat about today, Scott? Well, a lot of things. But uh, I, I sent you an article last night. And, like, this is, like, super fun. Uh, it's called head in the clouds cannabis users creativity and new venture ideation depends on their entrepreneurial passion and experience <laughs> this is the journal of business venturing i <laughs> i don't know how this gets funded a eh? but yeah. it's totally awesome funded by the cannabis industry <laughs> <laughs> but know. like the, the the highlight of this article they got like these like bullet points which hey like just from like a broad like people's perspective like just give your reader bullet points. Like you don't have to like mess with all the reading. Like people don't want to read. But the, the second bullet point is uh and I love this. I absolutely love this. Cannabis users generate new venture ideas of higher originality, but lower feasibility. <laughs> what what does that even mean? It, it's creative, but it's just like impractical. Like uh of course they're talking about like new ventures, new business ventures, but like I don't know, like in a people angst context, it's like, hey, let's hire a celebrity to fire people. Like, I don't know, you get like Mr. T in there, like, I pity the fool. And like, he like just totally destroys them on their way out the door. I don't know. Like, just like <laughs> something, something really high I would think about. Yeah, it's like, that'll go over really well with the users of their product. <laughs> like, oh my God, it's Mr. T. Did you ever see those old like Super Bowl commercials with uh, Terry Tate, the office linebacker? You remember I don't these? Remember that? Uh-huh. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to find like links to this. It was super funny. Like it would be like someone in the uh, office kitchen, and they'd be like, they they forget to like refill the coffee pot, and like this linebacker would come in, just like 
absolutely destroy them and be like, <laughs> when you're done with the coffee, you got to make some more. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. That sounds just like a Super Bowl commercial. Enforcing like office penalties and shit. Just so great. Yeah. Well, I need to actually, I don't think I got the link to that article, so I need to find it and read it. Um, yeah, man, like you just, what... you just need to read the headline, really. I mean, I mean <laughs> that, that's the, the best thing. Yeah. Well, what um, what what would uh, the use of cannabis mean, or or uh, some some substance? Let's just call it some substance <laughs> mean for in a people analytics context, Scott. What would it mean for it? Yeah, well, I'm I... trying to be vague here, man. <laughs> well, I, I how could it how could it induce or affect uh, a people analytics practitioner? Well, I, I think that the if you go by the finding of this article, you come up with original ideas, but they're just impractical to implement. Uh, like, I don't know what that would be. Like, hey, let's... Uh, uh, you know, the a... funny riff on that, Scott, is it sounds like most people analytics projects already. Ba-doom. <laughs> <laughs> right? But I mean, like, yeah. I don't know. Like, uh, hey, let's get a... Uh, as opposed to having a selection instrument, let's get a, get a sorting hat and people just... Yeah randomly be put into different groups i don't <laughs> that, know well i mean i feel like that we're, we're already kind of doing that with like the mbti anyway um, <laughs> it's, it's basically a sorting hat <laughs> so but uh yeah i don't know you know um, uh facebook i have a friend that uh went over to facebook meta whatever the hell they're calling themselves these days but essentially she was saying that during her first 90 days on the job uh she came in and she, she kind of knew what she was going to be doing but she met with 10 15 different teams and uh just kind of got a feel for the team that she liked and for the projects that they were doing and uh essentially self-sorted herself so after 90 days you get three months you, you choose your path and like the the people you like to work with and the people the sort of projects you want to pursue and it's a really creative I don't know if someone was high when they came up with this idea, but it's a really creative <laughs> way to allow yeah. people autonomy. I wonder, like, will, I mean, it sounds amazing. And I wish I had the chance to do that at certain points in my career. I wonder, does it scale? Like, can you afford to do that for every position? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a really good point. Like, at some point, there's a business need. Like, we need to do this product. And if people don't want to do it, yeah. <laughs> we can't just say we're not going to do that. Well, kind of speaking of that, Scott, I know one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today was finding jobs, right? And what, what that process is like and starting new jobs and everything along those lines. I don't know. It, do you want to share anything about like tips and tricks that you've had in the past <laughs> or any seminal moves in your career and how they shaped you? Well, that was a solid transition from somehow cannabis users sorting hat to how people actually find jobs. Like, uh, I mean, like, actually, we could riff on this for quite a while, really. Um, I've got I, plenty of material, I promise. Okay. Uh, well, from I, I think that there's different levels. So there's an individual level, like a personal level. There's a early career level. And then there's like a later career sort of level as well i i think you know, when, when i talk to say like grad students or you know people just starting out mm -hmm. or heck anybody uh my, my first thing i say is like think about 
what you enjoy doing on the job and look for jobs that maximize those sort of activities. So um, I'll speak for me personally. I don't like all the admin stuff. I don't like sending emails. I, I don't mind like, you know, text messages, this sort of thing, but I don't like the coordination of different stuff. And so if I saw like a project manager job, I would hate it. It would be terrible. Uh, I wouldn't enjoy it at all. If it's a, if, if you really enjoy like talking to people, being consultant, everything like that, maybe you should not uh, be in a secluded sort of backroom situation. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, if you don't like talking to people and you like like pounding away on the keyboard and uh, meeting, you see a meeting invite and you like kind of shudder, you're like, ah, like, damn, there's a freaking meeting coming. Maybe you should not be a, uh, consultant internal or external maybe you should like yeah. shy away from this sort of thing when i think this is sort of a build too because i think i give similar advice with one kind of caveat of sorts which is if you've never experienced something go and try to experience it because you don't know whether you'll like it or not and especially whether or not you'll be good at it like mm -hmm. one of the things like here's two kind of key i wouldn't call them mistakes but it's just learning experiences when i was in graduate school I thought I wanted to be an executive coach and I thought I'd be like really, really good at it. Yeah. I thought I was actually bad at statistics and analytics. And so I never <laughs> thought I would go into a career there. And obviously the joke kind of tells itself in terms of the analytics part of that. But I actually later on in my career, like multiple try times trying to dip my toes into executive coaching. And one of the things I found is, first of all, I really didn't like it. And second of all, I wasn't very good at it. And the other what? thing I found is obviously I am good at analytics, and but I didn't want to give it a chance just because of kind of a stigma against that in my own mind. And so I always tell people, try the things out and give them an actual shake before you close yourself off. Yeah, I, I think that's fantastic advice, but like, just like on a personal level, like what was appealing to you about executive coaching and I, honestly, what, what, what did you not even, like about it? Well, is the night at the time, I can tell you, there's kind of two different answers, really. Yeah. Uh, at the time, I just liked the work that it had executive in the word coaching in it. I thought that sounded cool. <laughs> uh, I, I'm serious. This is how the, the, the depth of cold nappers personality. So I apologize. Um, but on the, the flip side, I think it actually goes into uh, why, <laughs> why I didn't like it. I like actually kind of like the coaching part of it, but a lot of like, you, you give people like resources to go like build themselves. And a lot of times I'm like, that resource is never going to work. <laughs> and so I kind of, I <laughs> yeah, don't have faith in mean. the process. And so that, and then the other part of it is like, there is actually a huge amount of administrative work behind the scenes to do executive coaching effectively, which I did not enjoy whatsoever, uh, which I would just, that didn't come on the label, if that makes sense. And I, I think that there's certain jobs that, you need to have a foundational experience or you need to like kind of grow into that sort of position. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to make a really cogent point here, but you, you need a, a variety of experiences before you can be like a really effective, like OD code, like, you know, yes. you, you deal with executives and this sort of stuff. Cause like you roll in there and like, you're like, Hey man, like all you need to do is like, just change everything that you're doing. And like the organization's going to be perfect. Like, nah, that's not going to fly at all. When um, I even feel kind of tying back to the weed point from earlier, I feel like some of the best OD folks are just so chill and yes. zen. And like, like 
that's almost like something that comes out of the box. You don't, you can't make that. You, it has to be built that way. But like, like back to your original point about um, being open to experiences. Like this is like kind of a, a kind of a life lesson in general. Like always kind mm -hmm. of pursue the or just say yes more often than you say no. Um, it, it boy, I could go on a different tangent about how I actually wound up in my current role. But I, I think one of the Let's greatest. Let's go there. I mean, tell uh, us unless you don't want to share. Okay, let's let's sort of have a little structure here. Like we'll go into like sort of like later career in a moment. But I think that one of the greatest bits of advice you ever imparted to me, and I share it with other folks, is that take every interview opportunity you can. Uh, this is Cole Napper original here, and because I think it produces two things. Like one, you get really freaking good at interviewing. You can tell your story, your experiences, uh, in a really succinct and uh i don't know direct way and two you never know what the fuck they're gonna say they may say like we want you to be the ceo you don't know what they're gonna say well let me let me present kind of like from an alternative standpoint here's a nightmare scenario and it's a good scenario which means you find the job of your dreams and you really want to get it and it's maybe like you know one step above where you are now and you're almost barely qualified mm -hmm. do you want to go into that job interview cold like where you haven't interviewed for three years and because everyone knows like job interviewing is a skill set unto itself and it's oh, a yeah. very weird and bizarre situation let's be honest on both sides of the table and and so it would be really good to have a few reps under your belt before you interview for the job of your dreams and hopefully you're, you're more accustomed to the weird experience that you're going to go through it is so true. It is so true. And for, for those folks that are just starting out, uh, say, say like you're like uh, in grad school or like, or just want to like get, just change whatever. Um, it, it's a, it's kind of a numbers game when you don't have a network to lean on and this sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, one of the I, things I've admired about you guys, you told me before in the past about like a spreadsheet that you even kept of like yeah. tracking the numbers and how you might even optimize that. I don't know. You want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, boys, it's been a long time. I wonder if I still have it in my uh, uh, archives. That would be fun somewhere. to look at. It would be, it really would be fun. fun. So, yeah, like I kept this spreadsheet and I kept like the, the obviously the company and the job applied for and like probably some like admin stuff, like the requisition number or whatever it was, but also like the date applied, uh, the date callback. I'm trying to think, uh, sort of like some task. And also provide like a rating, like how interested I was in it as well. Uh, that, that was neither here nor there, but it's kind of like little self, self guiding <laughs> principles there. But essentially, every I, role is a five out of five interest because you don't have a job. <laughs> it can be. Yeah. I think it was a ten point scale, which yeah. Liker, Liker may get on my butt for doing that. But um, if I recall correctly, like if they didn't call back within, it was like five days. Like they weren't come calling back at all. And, yeah. and oh, and talk about the numbers game. There was like, it was like 125, 150 jobs applied for. And the percentage of people that actually got a callback, maybe 15%, maybe 20%. I mean, that may be on the high end too. I don't remember exactly. It's been a while. Yeah, I used to have a riff on this where I say it's always one out of five. You know, so one out of five people get callback for you know, a initial phone screen and then mm -hmm. one out of five of those gets pushed, pushed on to the next level. And then 
so on and so forth until you get to about five people are being considered for an offer and one out of those five actually gets the job offer. Those numbers don't exactly stack up perfectly, but I think it's a helpful framework to think about it. Yeah, it's, it's the directionally correct, if you will. The interview process can be painful too. Like a, a very prominent external consulting firm, firm, I was super high on at the time. And I think I uh, had You're my initial- high? High on them, Scott? I was, I, oh, high rating. We'll put it high <laughs> rating. <laughs> I didn't have any creative ideas that were not feasible at the time. Yeah. Uh, not at that particular moment. But they, 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 we'll just, we'll just say like they called me back in uh, like February and they, I went through, I, it must have been like 12 rounds of interviews and it My was, goodness. yeah, like it, at the very end of like this three month period. I was almost like irate with them. I was like, do you want me to be the CEO? Like what, what, why, why, if you either like me or you don't like me, why are there so many interviews going through here? And uh, actually I got a call from, uh, let's say an insurance company that I had rated lower on my list. I was less high on, but they called me back like two and a half months after I applied. We're like, Hey, you want to come interview? And like, I heard the, heard what they had to say and it would sound like a really good deal i'm so happy that my life worked out that way you, like yeah. to, to your earlier point you never know what's going to happen well and let, let's get on a tangent here for a second because again to kind of the point of interviews being such a weird experience do companies will do weird things in a as a way of like testing your commitment like so they'll put you through 12 interviews to make you feel like like I've, I've, I literally like just to kind of get on a tangent about like I was working at a, one automotive company at one point in time and another automotive company was recruiting me to come work there and they brought me for an on-site interview and they had me there all day and did not allow me to go to the restroom or give me any food or, oh. or drink. Yes. And like that was like a part and I have a whole story about this company. I'm not going to go into it here, but like that was like a part of the test of the interview. I'm like, this is really sadistic stuff that companies are doing sometimes. It's like uh, in Men in Black where they give like Will Smith the like weird egg chair and like a pencil that breaks and he, they're just testing like, can you adapt to your environment? It's like, will yeah. Cole like uh, find the potted plant in the corner and use it as a restroom? Or, I don't know. It is a very, very bizarre situation for sure. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I've been doing these, I don't know if I told you about this, but I've been doing these mentoring calls. Have we yeah. talked about this? Uh, yeah. you, you told me you were doing it, but you haven't told me how they're going or anything like that. Well, so it was kind of like the smartest dumb thing I've done. I decided I was just, I was feeling very magnanimous at the moment. I was like, I'm going to do something nice and give back because that's kind of been one of the things I've been kind of leaning into this year. I'm like, I'm going to mentor some people. So I, I'm going to put a link out there on LinkedIn. Maybe five people will sign up if I'm lucky. To yeah. do these mentoring spots and i i send the link out and my calendar just blows up uh so within six hours i just shut down the link after six hours because from morning to evening solid straight i was on these mentoring calls or work calls <laughs> for the last three weeks so i've had more mentoring repetitions than i can count um you, you're in it, demand it, you're totally in demand i think it, it ended up being 35 people um, over that three week period of Holy mentoring cow. calls. Yeah. And I mean, I'm talking about all over the world. So people from India, Africa, South America, United States, Europe, 
you know, it was, it's, it's been a while. I've made a lot of really cool relationships out of it, which is nice, but a lot of people, it just keeps coming back to this job search or how do I get my, how do I get my foot in the door or like, what, what do I navigate here? And so I think this, this conversation is really salient to, I think what a lot of people are facing at the moment. Yeah. And like, you, you got something there that kind of sparked my interest in like what I brought up earlier, like how I got my current job. So I was at mm-hmm. this other company and I, I really just wanted to experiment uh, a lot. So like open to different ideas, reading different articles and like kind of seeing how different things from different areas could combine. And I stumbled on this idea of uh, uh, turnover contagion, old felt 2009 article, but I was like, you know, we have network data. We, we can, mo- I can model this, no, no problem at all. So like nights and weekends, just kind of figuring out how to do it. And um, just, putting in like extra work and just having fun, this sort of stuff. Cause like, it is kind of fun when you get sort of like to do your own project and it's creative, but I got hooked up with uh, uh, the connected commons and network analysis sort of consortium and present this research and kind of uh, people really responded to it. Well, they're kind of blown away by it. And someone there like saw, was like, wow, like we're trying to set up something here. Would you like, we, we, it might be interesting if you were to uh, do this work, work somewhere here. else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, so you talk about like putting in the extra effort, like being open to experiences, uh, getting creative, you know, bust your ass, but also it's a bit of networking as well. Like you make these different connections. And uh, if you, if you read like Matthew Jackson, he has like a really great section on how people find their job and it's not from their close friends. Like you already know what all your like inner circle, what they're doing and what's available at their different company. Um, but it's really people that you rarely talk to once a, once a year uh, that they're going to have access to information that you don't as far as like job openings and this sort of stuff in the field. Yeah. And you already have a relationship, even if it's this like very tenuous sort of relationship, but that's how people find jobs. Well, I mean, it's it's a combination of a few things because I feel like there was a role of what you were sort of saying about serendipity, like the harder I try, the luckier I get kind yeah. of that type of ethos. And then there's the weak ties element from like the ONA. And I don't even know if you remember this, but back when you were doing that turnover contagion work, I invited you to come speak as a guest speaker at my company at the time. That was back when we were, I mean, we were, we were friends, but we were more like acquaintances, but I thought the work you were doing was so freaking cool. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, that was great. A great. And then, like, I, I benefited from meeting those folks. Uh, and now, Some weak you know, ties, perhaps? Weak ties. Uh, unfortunately, very weak at this point. I don't think I've kept up with any of them. <laughs> but, but, like, I mean, we could always lean back on this experience if we need it. Um, but, yeah. Right. That, Do you have any, like, direct advice about, like, if somebody, not necessarily just a student, because I feel like a student finding their first job is pretty different but like somebody who's early career or middle of their career about you know landing their new gig or anything along those lines or any stories you want to tell about just your job search experience in general uh well i mean like i've kind of covered uh the initial job search and then like advanced a little bit and it becomes much more targeted like it's no longer a shotgun approach it's like this opportunity that i heard about is very interesting to me for reasons x y and z that really appeal to me um but i I think there's there's like 
a lot to be said about you make these like weak ties or even stronger ties to keep up with people at conferences or, you know, however you make these ties, but you have a reputation as well. Like you're not a, a jerk and you get a reputation that you're not a jerk, this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and the, you, you, people want to work with you, like finding someone that you can work really well together with is freaking gold. Right. Um, yeah. how, how about you? Will? Uh, will cole i don't know yeah will yeah will will, will you tell me about your experiences (laughs) cole (laughs) the nice nice recovery scott (laughs) uh well well done uh well i kind of break my career down into three grouping like there was a period of time where i was an individual contributor there's a period of time where i was a manager and then there's a period of time where i'm kind of coming into a new page currently and so in the individual contributor space, I always say, like, I tell people, like, where you're developing yourself today is where you're going to be world class in two years, right? And so at that point in my career, I was spending all of my time learning about advanced statistical techniques, you know, data visualization, organizational network analysis, machine mm-hmm. learning, all of the hot words at the time. And guess what? I moved up really quickly in the individual contributor space, and I kind of felt like I was topping out. And then I was, I was kind of getting itchy to move into the managerial space. <laughs> I spent none of my time developing those skills. And so during my first management job, I was awful. Gosh, but <laughs> I, I really dedicated myself to learning about leadership. And, and I'm not going to say I'm the greatest manager ever, but I got a lot better because of through like consistent and, and practice and, and just trying to develop myself and going through those kind of courses and coaching and assessments and those type of things. And then more recently, and this is really kind of from this year onward, I've been kind of moving in this mode of like trying to give back. And so that's, you know, be writing the articles, doing this podcast with you. I'm going to be writing a book if that ever actually materializes, um, you know, I, and, and even kind of in my role moving to Orgnostic recently. And so that was in itself was even sort of a weird and interesting experience where I was one of their customers. Like I was looking looking at their product and, 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 you know, we've talked about it here before. God, I hate vendors. Vendors are the freaking worst. Like they're not any good and they're really hard to work with. And I just, I could, I could talk for hours about how much you're, you're hard on vendors. You are hard on vendors. It's not that they're I, hard I, to work with. Yeah, it, it's me. It's me. <laughs> but, but like they, like I was, I was talking to them and I, I was like, I gave them all my hardest questions and they just like teed them up and knocked them out of the park. And I was like, finally they wore me down. I was like, I really like you guys, (laughs) you know? And and so I ended up because of that um, experience, I ended up writing an article about why I think Orgnostic is pretty great. And because of that, they're like, Hey, we want you to come on our advisory board. And I was like, Oh, this is freaking sweet. Kind of the point you were making earlier about serendipity and all that, like putting yourself out there, exposing yourself to new things, being open. And that, that being on the advisory board led me to doing some consulting work for them. The consulting work led them because they know I'm so aligned with their mission of just giving back and, and investing in the people in the community. They're like, dude, you should come work for us and just do that. And I was like, wait, I could get paid to do something that I'm doing for free right now. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, this is amazing. And so I don't know, like I really resonated with the point you were making earlier about that and just being open to things. Cause that it's really affected me in my career as well. I, I never heard this story about like how you actually joined Orgnostic and like, like, your point like it's the the network effects are just totally evident there like these are people that you had 
a small relationship with and you wound up liking what they're doing and uh, it grew into something that uh, can actually get you paid which is so fantastic yeah. also like you you hit on uh stuff we've already been talking about like working out that muscle uh if you do something repetitively eventually you're going to be really good at it and yeah. uh you won't necessarily be good at the beginning and there's no. an alternative lesson too which is be a jerk to vendors you might get a job with them someday. <laughs> no I'm that's not the lesson well, I mean, there's also the like is something else that you mentioned there of like uh, you wanted to do something and like move up and like all this sort of stuff. And like I, I encourage people and I get kind of like drugged when I say this, but it's like. Go for like what makes you happy, like if you want to be like the senior leader of the organization, go for it, go ham, like work out those skills, et cetera. But don't do that because you feel pressure because there's like a big like scoreboard in the sky of like well, this yeah. person's got this higher position than me, so I need to be moving up. It's like, no, be happy, because eventually you're going to be freaking miserable. Here's another piece of, like, greeting card wisdom. It's like, don't compare yourself to who someone else is today. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Yeah. I really try to live by that. And I would even put, like, a caveat on it. It's not just happiness. I would even say the search for contentment, you know, and... um yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's just an interesting way of looking at things. Um, would you, you want to pivot to something else, Scott? Yeah, you know, uh, who uh, also compares themselves to uh, their former self is a world-class athlete. Were, were, you uh -oh. a, were you an athlete, Cole, like growing up? Were you a... I mean, if we take a really broad definition of that <laughs> word, then yes. But, uh, I mean, am I a natural-born, you know, Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan? Um, I no, 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 not really. Oh man, I, I was actually really solid until like everyone hit their goat growth spurt, but me, and then like kind of decided to you know, take the bench, as it were. But uh, this is a really cool study of like you know what makes a champion. So they analyzed uh, six thousand athletes, um, and they tried to understand the distinct differences between those that we're talking like children and how how they uh, progressed to become world-class athletes and uh here's what they found so those who made it to world-class they had more multi-sport than specialized uh practice in one area they started their main sport later than those who kind of fizzled out uh they accumulated less practice time and they initially progressed slower uh than their national class peers so the, 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 there's something to be said about getting a broad it's kind of like the theme of this episode like there's there's something to be said about getting a broad uh swath of experiences and that'll benefit you later yeah yeah i i feel like this is sort of it's not intentional but it's like emerging as something we keep saying over and over yeah. again but i think there's also a point about what we were saying about like intentional development as well and i guess there's maybe like a goldilocks zone there where if you want to be somewhere in two years intentionally develop yourself today but you didn't need to start intentionally developing when you were four years old and doing nothing else for the rest of your life. That's also probably an overcorrection of sorts if you really want to do that. No, especially like you and I being uh, you know, kind of from Texas or at least the South, like you kind of see this and these, uh, I don't know, like tiger parents where like they'll put their kids into year round baseball. Baseball seems to be big. 
uh, in yeah, Texas. I don't get it I mean. because, like, it seems like baseball is a sport at, like, the professional level is kind of on the downward trend. I mean, maybe that may be, may be my own, like, limited view on things, but it seems like, yeah, like, the travel ball stuff is, like, super popular. I don't think that's everywhere. Like, I hear a lot of people in, like, the Northeast talking about things like lacrosse and, mm-hmm. you know, soccer and, and those type of things. And obviously – I grew up in Louisiana and Texas, like high school football is everything and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. Uh, Like, do you think that there's benefit in being a multi-sport athlete or in kind of in the people analytics context, being more of the generalist than the specialist? Oh, I I think, well, from a, uh, just a sport or, you know, sort of athletic perspective, like it'd be all like speculation sense of like, you know, if you're a, if you want to be like a great football star, like, I don't know, like being able to like track a fly ball in baseball has to have some sort of like eye hand coordination benefits as well as like different sort of strategies that you would employ in different circumstances, be it in lacrosse or football or soccer, or this sort of stuff where essentially yeah, it's a transferable skills. And then there's probably elements of it of like, things like self-efficacy and resilience too, Mm -hmm. from like the psychological perspective is like, how do you build those things? Well, if you've encountered adversity in multiple situations, you're probably more likely to be resilient. You know, from a people analytics perspective, yeah, I I totally agree. Uh, You you understand teamwork and all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it probably has foundational collaboration. Yeah. Foundational elements for even the rest of your life, really. Plus like some uh, hard nosed coach, like yelling at you to like, you know, take care of your business while you, you know, lay out to block for a teammate that runs the touchdown and like kisses the cheerleader, you know, whatever they're going to do. But like from a pe- people analytics perspective, like Hubbard talks about this in his book, uh, how to measure uh, everything or any, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Uh, but he talks about like search around for different areas uh, because there's a problem that you're facing in this people analytics or measurement space. And someone has probably already encountered it They've probably already done it and they probably did it better than you were going to do it. So be be open to searching around. Yes, because you don't matter, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You Use it as motivation that you're going to do better than them or something. I don't know. I I like this nihilist perspective. I mean, like, I mean, the sun's going to envelop the earth in like 7 billion years anyway. And like, we're all just going to be a frozen planet if, if we even make it that long anyway. It doesn't matter. We're all going <laughs> to die. Oh, well, we've really taken a weird <laughs> turn here. But well, here, I'll, I'll, I'll just wrap this up. Uh, those who performed well when young, uh, but did not progress to world class, started their main sport earlier. They specialized engaging in more practice than one sport. Once again, just getting a single stream of experience. And uh, they made uh, quicker progress when they were young. Uh, so, like, really interesting study here. Yeah. Well, I th- yeah, I, mean, I, th- I just feel like there, there's a lot of transferable knowledge that you can be gained yeah. from not just this study, but sports in general, but even in the people analytics context or even the schooling context of like trying out different things, you know, and, and that's going to be an element where you open yourself up to new opportunities, the serendipity, the weak ties. I think all of this kind of blends together at some point, you know, but, and what, oh, well, one so, thing we're t- talking about there as well is like this element of uh you're in all these different sports and kind of like understand uh how to position yourself to i don't know defend or whatever like it really released like game theory overall in uh the people analytics space uh i know you have a great article on this 
Yeah, that was another. We're just on fire with these transitions today, baby. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the folks over at AIHR, the Academy to Innovate HR uh, in Europe, they actually like a lot of their stuff. They put out a lot of really good free content. They wrote this article about how to use game theory analytics in HR. I think it's. I mean, I'm not trying to poo-poo on it. I think it's it's more like inappropriately named. I don't think they're actually talking about game theory. I think what they're really saying, and I think this is really helpful, by the way, is how to bring things like, um, you know, percentages and just proportionality into your analytics. So not everything has to be machine learning. Not, but all the conversely, not everything has to be a bar chart either. <laughs> and and so what they're saying is is like how how do you? And we'll put the link to this article in the show notes is how can you find the propensity of a likelihood of an outcome just based on the data that you have? So like in a hiring context, if you know historically for a role, you know, males have accepted at an 80% rate and females at a 60% rate, you can use that knowledge to project that into the future. And they're kind of calling that game theory. Mm. One of the interesting things though, and I I wanted to get your perspective on this because I have kind of a different definition of game theory it, and I want to I want to know if you've done any work or or have any thoughts about this in your experience, Scott. It's like this concept of like seeing organizations as units who are competing against one another for talent resources. And so, like I, I think compensation usually is the context where this comes up the most. Where like let's say you know you're paying like I worked for an organization that had drivers, so you're trying to pay a wage of twenty dollars an hour. Your competitor is paying $20 an hour, but then they raise their rate to $22 an hour. And what happens to the whole competitive market when that happens? And I think that that's an understudied area in people analytics in general is just how do the game theory dynamics play a role there? Have you encountered that or do you have any thoughts about that, Scott? Uh, no, I, I've never really, really studied compensation in general. Uh, I, I know that we, we should probably have someone on. I mean, that'd be like a fascinating topic from like a broad perspective because like there are these sort of like benchmarks that they use to the external market. And I, I have seen, uh, worked with some of these folks in the past and they'll have like all these, uh, uh, external, uh, benchmarks, like I mentioned, uh, but for, I don't know, 4,000 different job codes. And you got to like sit there and be like, well, how accurate are these? And like, l- l- let, me, <laughs> let me see my own job code. And you see it and be like, boy, this is, uh, from my own self-serving perspective, this is way undervalued. <laughs> you see this sort Yeah, of thing. I can't tell you how many times I've been a marketing analyst because they have no code for like people analytics or I'm in customer intelligence or I'm in a data science role just yeah. because they don't have the right job code. Or it's like this information is like four years old. It's like four years is a long time. And we were going through inflation right now. Like uh, you may want to update this pretty regularly, but what was like, boy, this is a big old tangent. Like there's a lot of things that we need to figure out how to automate and update from a people and perspective. Just think about like job analysis or the sort of the requirements mm-hmm. of a role. Like, especially like I'm in a tech company it changes every six months. Like the sort of things that, especially a tech professional needs to know, like there's always things emerging, always things building. And like, if you just say like, well, you need to know, oh, I don't know, like C++, be like, yeah, they teach that in undergrad now. Like that, 
not even a thing anymore. It's just a a, a yeah. basic requirement. Well, then you have like coding camps for like eight year olds too. And yeah. I, the thing I think about it, I, I think it's it's kind of a sore that cuts both ways. I think it's actually probably a really transferable skill set and good to start them early. But I also think about it. There is no way that that language is still going to be relevant when they're in the job market. No, I, I think I think it's more of a logic thing, uh, yeah, which is kind of exactly. a benefit of uh, uh, coding or uh, school in general. It, kind of big brothery to think about it this way, but it's like it teaches you how to think. But people do need sort of like sort of training on say the scientific yeah. method and this sort of stuff. Um, but like kind of back to the article, like it, it sounds to me, well, a it has like a strong like Bayesian tent to it. If you're talking about it does priors yes. and this sort of stuff. And like not to invoke his name twice, but uh, Hubbard, once again in his book, "How to Measure Anything or Everything" or whatever the heck it's called, I still don't know. Uh, he he talks about this idea of uncertainty reduction, and that's the whole goal of measurement and bringing in analytics. You can say like, well, what, but what are the odds that uh, we hire a what a female for this role? Well, you go back to your priors, be like. Here's the base rate for this sort of person, this role. Here's what we've done in the past. We got a pretty good idea of what it's going to look like in the future. Absolutely. And I love that term of like uncertainty reduction. And I think this is the chasm that will never be crossed because what I think a lot of leaders are looking for, they're not looking for uncertainty reduction. They're looking for certainty. And that, that's the challenge with any type of analytics is, is probabilistic by nature. Um, I, you you bring up like something that I was actually thinking about on the walk here this morning. Like, you know, you're like uh, 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 Apple Maps or Google Maps or whatever you use. And it like gives you directions, like say the airport or, uh, you know, the, the store across the bridge or, you know, wherever you're going. I think we understand how maps work, Scott. Well, I'm talking about the directions specifically. Okay. And it's not, I mean, gr granted, it's fantastic to say like, okay, you, you turn left there and you turn right, et cetera. It's it's the time. It's it's like you will be there at 158 p.m. Yes. because like there's a wreck here and uh you know that's gonna be a cause of 20 minute delay. At least you have like peace of mind, especially if you're on your way to the airport, because you'd be traveling a lot. Like, okay, I will get there at two o'clock. I feel confident about that. My uncertainty has been reduced. I'm yeah. not in a panic because I don't there's a mystery wreck up the road. It's all about that uncertainty reduction. That's the main benefit of the directions in the map well this is this is going to bring out the texas driver in me but i look at that number and i see oh that's a funny suggestion and i'm like i can shave five minutes <laughs> off this <heat." laughs> but uh, uh well uh you know who else uh dived into uh probability uh keith mcnulty right Did you see this article oh yeah i i I don't want to give you too much credit, Scott, but I want to give you the appropriate amount of credit. I think him joining our podcast and you asking him about odds and probability made him write an article about odds and probability. Do you want to talk about it? Uh, I always mention that uh, I won't take full responsibility, but I mean, like everyone should send me a thank you. I mean, we'll just put it that way. Maybe a little Christmas gift for yeah. uh keith actually writing this article no it, it's actually a really fantastic article like if you recall i i uh mentioned that i always have to go back to his book and uh um uh, recount the difference between odds and probability so keith, keith if you're out there we read it we love we love it uh and uh we're waiting on that nlp article and book 
that's, that's the next mission yeah. for you. The book, I, I'm, I'm super pumped about that. I have one thing I, I kind of wanted to close us here with Scott um, and get your thoughts on this. And, and I hadn't given you, given you a heads up about it, but Insight 222 or My HR Future, I think they're the same thing, um, but they just published their annual research on people analytics teams. And one thing I saw in there, which I thought was really intriguing, is back in 2020, they said that the average ratio of total employee headcount to a people analytics team was you'd have one people analytics person for every 4,000 employees. But since then to 2022, that's changed from one to 2,900, which essentially means like if you're, if you're a a hundred thousand person organization, your people analytics team should have 35 people, which I I, I feel like is, is pretty large, but like in the past, what would it, would that have been? Let me do the math real quick. Um, Essentially, in the past, it would have been 25. So essentially what they're saying is in two years, a a company with 100,000 people, their people analytics team should have grown by 10 people during that period of time. What what are your thoughts about this? And and do you think that that's sustainable? Uh, Well, my my initial thought is uh, kind of like a continuing discussion we've had uh, from Max Bloomberg and like all all throughout different guests, like what is people analytics? So like what kind of roles are they including in this uh from basic reporting to dashboard building to people that do uh i I don't know multi-level modeling to ml Mm -hmm. i mean it kind of spans the breadth there but i think the like the crux of your question is like should we be devoting this many resources to understanding our workforce is that the basic question but the thing is, just as like, is it proportional? Is it right? proportional? Like I, eh. Yeah, like I have this riff that, and I think that they're kind of still contributing to it, which is the last 10 years of people analytics, success was determined by resource gathering, right? So if you got more headcount, you got more budget, you got more technology, you were considered better. You know, you were the better team. I, my riff on this, though, is the next 10 years is about scalability. And I don't think like if, if you fast forward five or 10 years, the, these like 200 person people analytics teams, that's going to be seen as like an absurdity, right? Whereas I think technology is going to play a bigger and bigger role yes. in making those ratios actually trend downward. And that's what's going to be seen as attractive is having a bigger ratio, not a smaller ratio. Uh, Yeah. And like, you're hitting on some interesting points here. Like um, one Technology is the big disruptor in everything, of course. Like yes. I saw a recent article. We should cover it later about like I, I won't even I won't even talk about it. But it's essentially, uh, technology is gonna and automation is gonna reduce different roles. And there's also like the human element. So like every organization is fighting for talent. You mentioned this earlier, like external competition on compensation and these sort of things. We as IOs, in my opinion, is to uh, make the employee's life better while making the company more efficient. And sometimes those are diametrically opposed. But if you want to make employees' lives better, you need people analytics function to generate those insights, increase engagement, uh, reduce attrition, uh, all these sort of things. And you need a group of professionals that has the know-how and the theory to put these into uh, the universe. Yeah, that my, my kind of riff on this earlier, and I was sort of talking about it when I was talking about generalists versus specialists, is 
I think in the next 10 years, it's going to be like the things that are considered generalist in nature are going to be much more likely to be automated. Oh yeah. And the thing, and it's going to be the specialists who are world-class in one area or another, who are really going to be still in a high command or commanding high salaries and still in a high demand. Boy, it's, it's going to be wild to see what the world looks like in 10 years. Like, uh, like one of our biggest employee employee populations, uh, is like truck drivers. And like, I think that's going to be totally disruptive. Uh, one of the highest paid salaries in, uh, the U S or probably the world is, uh, airplane pilots. Like, that could be automated totally. Uh, yeah. Boy, it's going to be, and, and there's going to be like room for uh, people on like to, because I mean, these people are going to need jobs. They're going to need some sort of livelihood. And wh- wh- where do they go? What do they do? Well, this is going to be a directionally correct comment here, but my understanding of like the, all the technology already exists today to disrupt airline pilots, but they exist for two reasons. One is because Nobody wants to like actually get on the plane if they don't see like a pilot up there. Fair, um, fair. But the second is just takeoffs and landing. Pilots almost do nothing in between takeoffs and landing. That's really the main purpose of their job. I saw a stat the other day, and it was like seventy-five percent of pilots have uh, found themselves like they woke up, in, you know, while flying the plane, and it was like fifty percent have woken up while flying the plane to see the co-pilot asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, i think that's probably a good place to stop man yeah we can end with the pilot jokes but uh well you've been listening to directionally correct the people analytics podcast with colin scott uh scott this was a lot of fun man yeah man uh talk next week later all right see you buddy as always all opinions are our own and do not reflect those of any other organization